Did you know Shopify doesn't allow more than 100 combinations of options on a product? Fortunately, there's a solution. Bold Product Options app, the number one options app on Shopify with more positive reviews than any other. And it allows you to create as many options on products as you want in every type you can imagine. File uploads, text fields, text areas, radio buttons, checkboxes, color swatches, date pickers, and a couple others I forgot. And it's a huge time saver because when you create your options, you can apply them to one product or an entire store, or an entire collection, or a particular product type, or any group of products you want with a single click. And you could save that option set to apply to any new products you add that need it. Now imagine trying to add gift wrapping option to every product in your store. Normally it would be a nightmare. With the Bold Options app, it's one click. It can even adjust prices. Or those options can actually be products too. So for example, an option could be add the matching hat, or add a protective case. And then when your customers select it, it actually adds the product in the checkout. It's a total power move to sell bundles, and it doesn't even feel like it to the customer. Now, there's nothing worse than looking at a whole bunch of fields when you're buying a product. It scares customers away. They may not even need to be filled out. So Product Options adds conditional logic. It's this tool that lets you show or hide options based off what customers pick. For example, if you select custom engraving, then we only want to show the custom engraving text field after they've checked that, and so on. Now, if you need sophisticated options, or just more than the standard 100 variant limit, this is the app you need. You can get started today with a 60-day free trial by going to ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. Uh, all right, I got a trivia question for you that I just learned today. Let's hear it. What is the longest song to be in the Billboard Top 10? And you know this. If this was like our... We would know this. Longest by duration or longest by time? Like time on the Billboard chart? No, the longest song. Like the song life. Okay. Uh, I have no idea. Come on. Did I just start guessing stuff? Oh, you didn't even try? Was Mask Off in top 10? Mask, come on! I don't know. <sighs> you, you stink for this. <laughs> I'm just supposed to like throw out guesses? Well, I don't know. You can't think of like a especially famously long song. Stairway to Heaven? No. That's all I got. Oh, God. It's November Rain. Oh, really? Yeah. November Rain's like eight and change. It's like 8.50. And is that by Prince? Uh, I'm going to delete this. <laughs> so, just you see any good movies? <laughs> uh, I, re- was, I, I rewatched Into the Spider Verse, which oh. is just, it's on Netflix now. It's so good. Incredibly good. Yeah, we watched it uh, at home when it came out with the kids, and uh, we all enjoyed it. I just took them to see 
last week, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. I was ready to just for something silly and boring, and I absolutely love that movie. That's my favorite summer movie I've seen so far, Spider-Man Far From Home, and I'm really shocked by this. I mean, I thought it would be like, enjoy. I haven't seen it, but I was like, oh, that's an enjoyable Marvel Marvel movie, just the standard Marvel level of quality. Now my, I'm surprised you thought it was that good. I think it's right up there with my previous favorite Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man 2. Yeah, Doc Ock. Spider-Man 2 is great. And yeah. I, I'm annoyed because I was looking on my Comcast On Demand, which has a ton of movies that are really good, uh, and they have Spider-Man's, Spider's Man <laughs> 1 and 3 on the Comcast streaming, but not Spider-Man 2. Well, yeah, that's the best one. Yeah. So clearly Can't have that you got to pay for that one. Yeah, I, well, I watched uh, Rafifi, which is a uh, French heist film from like 1954. It's large. It's considered one of the first like heist films. Was uh, did I miss the transition from Marvel movies to nineteen fifties we, we French films? Talking about what movies we'd watch. All right, keep going. I don't know. So Tell me about Re- Rafiki. It, not it's not Rafiki. It's Rafifi. Uh, it's a French term. It's the uh, inspiration for the Lion King. It is not. Uh, it's cool. The heist. The heist sequence is thirty minutes, and. Obviously, we're being sneaky while we're doing the jewelry store heist, so we're not talking. So it's like 30 minutes of like silence or just like the ambient noise of them doing the job. That's too tense for me. It was really good. It was a good movie. It does sound good. Mm. I like uh, French Connection. That's my. It's got French in the title. It's more or less a heist movie. And I believe it's not a heist movie because it's about cops. Yeah, but they're like trying to find drugs in a car or something. Oh, my God. I don't know. Why do I talk about this with you every week? <laughs> the thing I'm excited about is Chevy unveiled the new Corvette last night, and that is, I'm so jazzed about this thing. Now, I, I don't know a lot about cars. Is that car, would you consider that car to be better than my 2015 Ford Fusion or worse? I think it, it's probably worse, right? It depends by what metric. My current metric is, does the car have a frunk, yes or no? <laughs> and in this case, yes, the vet is better by virtue of having a front frunk. Because the engine's in the middle. Oh, my God. What a great place to put the engine. Right in the middle of the car. This my ju- I want a car where the engine's in the middle or the doors go up. Well, Ideally, both. Doors go up, yes. That's, that's, that's very limited. Very if you Paul Walker on me, I'm screwed. So you can't have that car. A, a, a rear engine and mid-engine car does spook me for the, the unique driving dynamics. which The, the scary part... A standard car, when the back slides out, it's really pivoting around the engine that's in the front. And you know, like, all right, I counter-steer and slow down, and it pops back. A mid-engine car will do this much later, and when it happens, it spins around the engine that's in the middle. So basically the thing just, like, you're fine, 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 until the thing spins like a top. And that's... That sounds bad. Yeah, and I, like, unless you're very experienced with this, you, you're going to panic and screw it up and just send it into a ditch, Right. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I don't have a problem with, that, with my car. The one that really spooks me is, is Porsche rear engine. That's because the thing acts like a pendulum. So if you it's sliding in a turn, your instinct is counter steer and let off the gas. If you do that, it will swing the engine. The weight of the engine in the back will swing the car the rest of the way around through the turn. So you end up going through the turn facing the wrong direction. Again, this is a bad car. No one should have this car. I don't think I would ever go for. Well, there's only one rear engine car, I think. It's a 911. I don't think I'd ever buy one. That spooks me too much. <laughs> the uh, the getaway car in Rafifi had suicide doors. Whoa! What was it, it, like a Lincoln? 
No, it's like a 1950s French car. I don't so it's know. a Citroen? Probably a, a Citroen. Probably a Citroen, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I accept that there's probably, I'm just going to guess, there's a Citroen out there with suicide doors. In like 1954. Yeah. Uh, they got to bring suicide doors back. They call them like saloon doors because you can't have a car brochure with the word suicide in it. Yeah, that, that's probably bad. But that's what makes it badass. As you've like doors that could kill you. You open the door, a car coming down the street hits the door, the door closes on you. Hence, suicide door. There's at least one person listening to this who's like, oh, that's why they call it that. You know, Car Talk was canceled years ago. Yeah, I, I'm desperately trying to turn us into Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers, and it's just, it's not happening. So, on uh, this e-commerce podcast... They saw, are, are they, is, is Chevy setting up like a Shopify store for the Corvette? Maybe we can I talk about that. I don't believe so. Ah. I'm sure it's like you have to go in to pre-order it, and it's a big pain. A thing I won't realistically be doing. You're listening to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elser. Joining me is my co-host, Paul Rita. And today, we're not going to talk about cars anymore. We're moving on to listener mailbag. And we got these questions from our Facebook group, Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders. If you search for that on Facebook, uh, feel free to join it and post. Every so often, I, I post for uh, topics and questions. And when they get added, we answer them. Today, we are answering literally every question that was asked, except for one uh, was about technical SEO. So we're going to skip that one. It's just, it's not my my core competency. Um, but we will answer all of these others. And there are some good ones in here. Practical stuff about conversion rate optimization, quick wins. And we're going to close it with a great thought exercise on what to do with a business that has high revenue and low profits. So the first listener question comes, and there are several from this gentleman. Ezreal Palachik asks about just... Conversion rate. He said, I won't call it zero because not every store has enough traffic to implement optimization tests. All right, well, that, let's correct a bit of misinformation there first. So CRO, conversion rate optimization, does not necessarily mean split testing. But you're absolutely right. With split testing, uh, it, it's tough and limiting because to get a statistically significant result, you need a lot of order volume to figure stuff out. So it's like you're either running one test over a really long time or you have a tremendous uh, order volume. So uh, there was no question here. He just said, talk about conversion rate. So the my thoughts on conversion rate are this, and it's going to be related to two things, your quality of traffic and your average order value. It's much easier to sell a $50 item than a $500 item, and that gets reflected in the conversion rate. I could, as a benchmark, I could tell you um, the the average order value for the top 100 stores is probably around 50, 60 bucks, and the average conversion rate, which this is all self-reported, um, is two and a half percent. So if you are in that range, you're doing good. But if you're selling a $300 item and your conversion rate's one percent, that would also be excellent. So you have you can't just look at the one figure; the whole thing's a system. With conversion rate, I think the the way to figure it out on how to improve it is to ask people. This is my favorite tool is you need to look at how people are using your site. Hotjar's free basic plan will do this. And you need to ask people when they bounce from the site, if you didn't make a purchase today, why not? And Hotjar's exit intent pop-ups will do that. It only does it on desktop, so you're not annoying the majority of people on mobile. Uh, but you'll get some good answers and insight into what's going on and why people aren't buying. Uh, well, you skipped over another part of his question, which is what is the 
What is the biggest factor in a product page that will increase trust, trust and conversion rate? Okay. And oh I, yeah, he did have a follow up. He had a couple follow ups. Um, I think trust. I think it's sort of undervalued. Just the general professionalism of your site, like quality images, quality copy, a good non confusing layout, like that increases trust all on its own, right there. Because professionalism. Shows professionalism. Yeah. There you go. That's a good word. That's what. That's how I call it. It's like just. We need a subjective rating for how polished is this site. Yeah. And I call, I always refer to that as professionalism. To me, that's the main, like, th- you know, uh, I think we talked about Adam's Polishes last time we were together. That was the big thing about the Adam's Polishes launch we did is that site, the new site we have for them just bleeds professionalism. It's, it's so professional. Like all the images that they put together, like all the layouts, like that to me is the biggest driver of how good that site is. And I think one of the the keys to professionalism is consistency. So it's like you could have one really great product page, but does the rest of the site match? You can't have like these strange orphaned pages that are unfinished, that don't look right. Um, it has to be the entire experience. And that and funny you should bring that up because we talked to one of our longtime friendly clients this week who have a very high convert, converting site. site. It's very good. They make millions of dollars a year. But their site does not have that consistency because they've almost gone too far down the rabbit hole in that every single page is its own almost long form product page to sell a product. So every single every page has been optimized for conversion rate within itself, but the site doesn't work well as a holistic whole. It seems very disjointed. And they were talking they are realizing that now and they're trying to somehow fix that or get out of that. In a yeah, if you take each individual page, any random page, looks really great. The issue is when you are browsing the site and you're going home, home page, page, product collection page, page product another page. product page, yeah. cart. They all have a different feel, and I. But any one looks amazing. Yeah. So it's more than just like yeah, optimize, optimize, optimize. It is. You're right. There's a whole experience that comes through, and that's where it will find. Sometimes we'll work on these sites that. Honestly, they look shitty. They're not great designs, but they have phenomenal conversion rates. We've worked on some of the ugliest sites that oh, have yeah. double-digit conversion rates. But now, in retrospect, I realize they had consistency. Like, they did not... All of the pages were... Consi- the design was consistent all the way through, even if it wasn't amazing. But was it professional? They rarely have... Like, they wouldn't have broken stuff. Yeah, and if they would was, often even if it video. wasn't mind-blowing, the, it was still professional. And, like, the photos and stuff would be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're right. I Wow. I, we just stumbled on this incredible realization. <laughs> Even, like, it would be better to have a website where the entire thing is a B-, minus, but it's consistent all the way through than to have a site where there are some A-plus pages and some C- minus pages. Yeah. Well, and uh, to bring up another example. Call Me Manatee, which was our old meme site that we ran years ago that I thought up, and we sold it to someone because we were refocusing the business and we don't need to be hosting weird meme sites anymore. (laughs) We sold Calming Manatee to someone who I learned last night put a Shopify store on it. And the Shopify store is incredibly unprofessional. It has a a slideshow with two slides in it. The second slide's broken. (laughs) (laughs) Like the, the collection page layouts, the product photos are terrible. Like it's just shockingly unprofessional. And it's like, well, why would you buy anything from this guy? Cause it doesn't, it the, doesn't give confidence. The to professionalism the buyer. creates trust. Yeah. 
Professionalism creates trust. Okay. Wow, we had a good insight here. Like, you, you know, to go back to the cars, your Jaguar, when you go to the Jaguar dealership, they treat you like a king. Yes. Extremely professional. Yes. Do you trust the Jaguar dealership? Of course you do. Yes. Whereas a car more expensive than mine, the Nissan GTR, I went to go uh, check those out. It was on It was on my list. I was curious about it um, before I bought the Jaguar. And there was just, there's nothing in the world that would make me buy a, a retail price, a $100,000 MSRP car from a Nissan dealership. I mean, like, it just wasn't, it was so inconsistent. But I wouldn't think twice about buying, you know, a $25,000 car from there. But yeah, it's, you're right. There's like, there's a cognitive dissonance that happens. So the whole experience needs to be that, that consistent. Mm-hmm. So I think really they should rebadge that Nissan as an Infinity or just only sell them at Infinity dealerships. Yeah. I bet that's a better that's experience. weird that it's... A, well, Nissan has like the whole Nissan Nismo racing It's thing. Yeah, it's been... Well, it's like a heritage thing. Those cars have been around in Japan since the 70s. God, how'd you get it back on cars? I hate you. <laughs> You're the one who brought up the, the Jaguar. No, Jaguar A. You call it from the Jaguar dealership. Yeah, it's Bill here at the Jaguar dealership calling it your Jaguar. <laughs> uh... And then lastly on that topic, Ezreal asks, for cold traffic, i.e. top of funnel or tofu, is it better to send them to home category, product detail page, or a dedicated long-form landing page to sell the product? If it's cold traffic, the answer 100% is dedicated long-form sales page. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's because they need an introduction. Like, they've never been to your site before and that's the key difference between those four options you know when i take it back though what if i mean if you have multiple products like that are the products the same the general product is the same but they're like differentiated if you think like t-shirts or like watches if you have like a array of products in one group in that case don't you send send them to like a collection page almost yes but the collection page same could be thought of as a, a you could make it into a landing page. Yeah, true. But B just dumping them on a collection page isn't going to help them. Like let's use iPhone case as an example. Oh, all right, I take it, I take it back. I mean a uh, a long form landing page is not a long form landing page is not necessarily focused on a single specific product. It could be on an entire product line. That's true. Okay, that's Yeah. All right. Yes, but it needs to be like all really tightly related. Yeah. If it's like, "Hey, like so using the the iPhone phone case. case, yeah, the iPhone case example, like it needs to be, it's this one iPhone case and like pick which iPhone you have. Though realistically, you could target people based on device. So it should be like, this is the landing page for iPhone 10 XS Max cases. And you're going to choose, well, do you want it with or without the, f- the phone mount for your car? Like I want everything needs to be really tight and focused and limit choices. That's my fear with the collection page. Unless it's like I could see a t-shirt store where it's like one theme around graphic shirts. So if it's like an ad for 90s throwback shirts, like we saw at Macy's yesterday. Yeah, it was yep. a table's all 90s throwback. That would work as a collection landing page. So I think it also depends on, I guess it depends on price too. But again, key is consistency there. Like if we're sending them to a collection page, everything better be real consistent. Like, I need that one common theme. And a homepage could work, but it needs to be... The disadvantage there is you've got, like, the full navigation in the top, so it's a distraction. But you realistically, you would be treating it as a long-form sales page. On that topic, Eric Hancock and Rachel Reed both wanted to know about Welcome Series email marketing. 
So I think the a welcome series email, you really you're going to treat it like a version of a long form landing page, a sales page. So I think there's some lead magnet, some promise to get them into the welcome series. Almost universally, this is going to be a 10% off coupon. Those work really well because if I'm considering the purchase, I may as well sweeten the deal with 10% off. Like that's, I would do that for sure. Or if you have like, you know, it's a more, your product, you don't have any low price products. You have like five bucks off. That's always nice. Free shipping. Anyway, we need some, probably some coupon related lead. That gets them to sign up for the list. So immediately the very first thing in that welcome series is, hey, as promised, here is your coupon code. I think after that, you are now trying to lead them to make the purchase. Like they have signed up for the list. They're essentially saying, okay, sell me on this. So I think the next one is you're going to introduce them to the brand, your story, the product, like make it personal. And then the email after that is, hey, check out our best sellers. Email after that is, oh, common questions and objections. What happens if I don't like my jacket? It doesn't fit. Like answer those objections. Um, and then after that, follow it up. If you want to get fancy, you could do uh, a sale, like an automated sale. Hey, uh, for the next two days, this is on sale. And that's where those coupon codes, dynamic coupon codes and Clavio are really powerful. But no matter what, it, basically it's like email one, immediately fulfill the promise of the lead magnet. The next two to three emails are introduce them to you, your brand, the products, then bust objections, and then finally create some kind of time-limited offering. So it could be, hey, that coupon code you got on day one, that's going to expire in 48 hours. And then that's an opportunity to send two emails. So you say like, oh, your coupon code's going to expire in 48 hours. And then, hey, your coupon code's going to expire in 24 hours. Whatever the welcome series is, it's got to end with some, some it's way to end create with urgency. Like, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, all right, we gave you everything you needed to know. Now make the decision or don't. And that's very similar to like if you were writing a, a, a sales letter, you would have like kind of run through that process as well. You got any, any topics on or any, any thoughts on a welcome series? I got no. Oh, yeah, that's, that's out of my. Well, you, have you ever been on uh, newsletters where you went, oh, man, this is I'm on a welcome series? Oh, yeah. Um, there was a there's a T-shirt store. Uh, oldschoolshirts.com that I bought some stuff from and I specifically triggered the welcome series in order to try and scam my way out of a coupon code to get money off the shirts. <laughs> They're on Shopify, by the way, uh, and I love their product line. So oldschoolshirts.com, if you're listening, hire me. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will throw it in the show links. <laughs> I, I, I uh, abandoned my cart in order to trigger the abandoned cart sequence and I got a... I did end up weaseling a coupon code out of them from that, but they had a code on their Twitter page that ended up being saving me more money in the end. So I just used the Twitter code. I did not use the one in the abandoned cart sequence. But it did, did it keep it top of mind? I mean, part of it is like, I think one thing I want to impart here for people is it would be better to have any welcome series than none at all. So if like all of that intimidated you, don't let it. Just get anything out there literally any email that you could send people to be like to try to make them do something here's a coupon code hey did you forget about your cart just something to get in front of their faces again is better than doing nothing i could guarantee without looking if we took our top 20 stores by revenue client stores and checked uh their analytics their highest revenue marketing channel undoubtedly is going to be email With, oh, without, question. Yeah. without question without question 
But, you know, if you're like, well, I tried email, it didn't really work, and it's the stores we're talking about are operating at, they've got velocity, momentum, they have a decent sized list. I mean, some of them, the lists are 100 to 200,000 people. Yeah, your email doesn't, you know, when you're just starting out. And that's the thing that, that's the thing that really kills the Amazon sellers is that Amazon does not give you the email addresses. They own the audience. Of your buyers. Yeah, you're, if you, when you sell on Amazon, this is, they're an Amazon audience. They're not a your product line audience. So you don't get those emails. You can't remarket to them. Like it really sucks. Like you can make a lot of money on Amazon with the, with their massive audience that they're handing you, but you're not building any sort of repeat customer base, or at least that you know of. And I mean, it could all just disappear at any time, which sucks. Yeah. I think the advantage to selling on a marketplace, be it eBay, Amazon, Etsy, is when you're just starting out, it's a great way to validate the stuff and get going because they're providing the audience to you. Yeah. But then you hit a tipping point where you go, wait a second, they own the audience and I'm 100% relying on them. I'm like, functionally, I'm working for them. And that's where a lot of stores, they go, okay, I need to build my own brand. I need to own the audience, the story, the experience. And if you're an Amazon seller, it makes it easy because you can use fulfillment by Amazon. So like you're really adding a Shopify store as a sales channel to that existing business. If you have that, like the Amazon store linked to your store, the customer emails that come in, it's at Amazon marketplace. So then you have to go, that's a big pain. You got to go in Clavio and set up filters so that you don't email these, start emailing these Amazon addresses with your newsletters. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. I learned that one the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, U.S.-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. Okay. The next one, this is all Paul. You want to handle this one? Uh, Jesse asks, what are some typical image requirements for Shopify product photography? E.g. 300 DPI so you can print the imagery. Graphics and WebP, JPEG and in RAW, great lighting. 360s, 3D modeling, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jesse's way overthinking it here. Uh, 300 DPI that is just going to get re-encoded down below 300 DPI. Also, why are you printing product photos from your website? Don't do that. Well, let's talk about DPI is for print only. It's dots per inch. Yeah. It is a measure of resolution when something is printed on a physical medium. But people don't know that. And almost like a majority of the time when someone asks. You pull a thing off a website and then, you know, your mom tries to like print it out on like as like an actual physical object and it's like so tiny or it's super blown out it's like yeah because that was from the web yeah that the wasn't web print is, dpi yeah the if you want to use dpi standard web resolution is 72 dpi yeah and print He's, is print is over 200 jesse cites 300 dpi which is great if you're printing a poster yeah but we also like you got to consider retina so for retina it's you want 144 dpi the, but DPI again, doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Why did I get sucked into this? Yeah, why'd you do that? No, it's right, just the resolution of the image. I'm going to hide back here. <laughs> so yeah, 300 DPI, who cares? Not your problem. Uh, we're talking about a website. Uh, graphics in WebP, JPEG, and RAW. Well, Shopify doesn't accept WebP images, 
and any sort of theme is going to re-encode them to JPEG anyway. And raw, you don't upload raw. Web, web, <laughs> web browsers can't read raw. Shopify is going to re-encode it to JPEG. Just upload JPEG. Like, again, why are you making it so hard? Uh, well, tell us about, and Jesse mentions WebP, tell us about what's going on there. Okay, so WebP is a new image format that was developed by Google, but Google has fully open sourced it. There's, it's unlike, it's, there's no restrictive licensing. Everyone can implement WebP. It's apparently about 25% smaller than JPEG, which is great. Every web browser supports WebP except Safari and mobile Safari. So phones, the thing, the bandwidth limited phones that would use WebP the best uh, don't support it. So it's kind of pointless, unfortunately. And Apple has made no indication that they're going to be supporting it anytime soon. Uh, during Unite, Shopify said they would be supporting WebP. So they're going to sniff whether the browser supports WebP and then re-encode your product photos in WebP to reduce load times, which is great. And they have... If you look on the loads for Shopify stores now, it indicates that the images are in WebP, but they're not. So I don't know what's going on there. They like change the image headers to say they're WebP, but the images are still JPEG. So I don't know if they're like halfway done doing it or what's going on with that. Yeah, I yeah, it was strange because I, I was working on a site and I just wanted to pull down the product photo for um something for like a mock-up I was working on. And it had the extension .jpg. It was a JPEG, but when I would drag and drop it to the desktop, it would get changed to .webp. And I was like, so did they implement it? They did. I'm not sure what's going on there. Yeah, you thought they implemented it. You were like, oh, they I was very excited. You were like, they implemented WebP, and I was like, no, I sniffed that out last week. They didn't. <laughs> like, they're just there's a thing. There's some flag switched on that's saying they are, but it's not. Uh, great lighting. Yes, of course you should have great lighting. Why is that a question? <laughs> yeah, no. I all right. All right. First Get, thing, take your phone. It should all be bitmaps or gifs and terrible lighting. Professionalism. Yeah. All right. Use a flashlight for lighting because that'll be professional. Rub. Uh, clean your phone with Vaseline. That's a photographer's <laughs> trick. Yeah. No. Um. All right. So the answer for great lighting, uh, we got some tips from an interview I just recorded with Ryan at Pop Off Leather. He said, "Get an interesting background for your lay flat." And I saw I saw an Instagram ad. It was like you got a pack of tiles that were just different backgrounds. And it was like wood, stone, like a, in a photo. No one's going to know that's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get, if you want it, you can get all kinds of great lighting stuff on Amazon. But I would get one of these um, foldable light boxes. I was just going to say, yeah, you have that light. Cube. I got How one in my basement. Um, you can get those for under 100 bucks now. I mean, that thing is cool. I mean, that's like the the pure product photo of uh, your, your product existing in a Apple-like pure white space you, that is easily achieved with a light cube or a light box. And I've seen you use it. It's cool as hell what comes out from this weird little Mylar cube. But yeah, how much? so that was under 100 bucks. Yeah, and those things will make your life much easier. So you get that thing. Um, I just have it set up in uh, a sp- the spare counter that's in our laundry room and Julie will use it for like shooting promos for her site. I use it for when I'm selling stuff on eBay. Uh, very convenient to have. And you get some of these different backdrops or um, like tiles to shoot on. So you have different backgrounds, you throw that in there and now you've got a interesting photo with good lighting. And at that point, like once you've got the good composition and lighting, well, you could just shoot it on your modern smartphone, have phenomenal cameras. If you want to get fancy, 
just get, I don't care whatever camera, micro for thirds, DSLR, Nikon can, I don't care, as long as you have a macro lens. For product photos, a macro lens makes all the difference because now you could get up close to it. You're not having to like crop it to get rid of all the extra white background. And well, just in terms of the, in terms of the image size, just put up the biggest one you got because fingers, fingers crossed your theme or Shopify will figure it out. But I guess if you want to narrow it down, you don't need to upload anything bigger, truly bigger than 2,000 by 2,000, I would say. I think the max it'll support is 2,500 by 2,500. I think they, I think they uncapped that now. But even okay. the, even 1024 pixels wide, you're fine. I would say go with 2048 by 2048 because that's when you do the light box with the zoom in, now you're all good. You don't know what like crazy retina shit's going to come down the road. So if you're it's uploading like, it... Triple retina. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, if you've got to export the images once, no matter what. Export them at 2048 by 2048. Pop them into Shopify. Shopify will just always have that on hand. And, and Shopify it, and the theme will just deal with it forever. Yeah. Yeah, make your, make your life easy. And it's, just, it's JPEG. Done. Uh, 3D, 3D models. That's a whole can of worms. Shopify, is, they're adding native support for it. There's no, you don't, you're, you just drag and drop the 3D model to the site. I don't know what the format for that is. I don't know how to make those. You got to get like a pro to make all that stuff. You get somebody to make the model for you. And then you drag and drop it. And then um, if they're on an iPhone, it will just work in Safari. I mean, it's cool as hell. It's so cool. But yeah, in terms of the initial cost to do it, I have no clue. But when it actually, when, when you see it in action, it is so freaking mind blowing. It was really cool. Uh, moving on to our final topic. This was a thought exercise. Adam Watson says, I've got a cash-eating monster business. All right, that sounds cool. Cash-eating monster business. Even though costs are down to the bone, how can I get in front or do I quit and go clean toilets at Walmart? <sighs> so this one, it's an interesting thought exercise. I wish I knew more. Yeah. About I, what's going on here. So this is like, a lot of this is going to be conjecture. Yeah, I, I was, it made me think of, I listened to a podcast this week that was talking about this uh, Jesuit philosophy. Shout out to the Jesuits. I went to St. Ignatius, so I got to support anything Jesuit. Jesuit? Jesuits in the house. Uh, the Jesuit idea of kaiju tree, which is not the worship of giant monsters. Uh, <laughs> it's the idea of, if you're discussing a problem, it's, they do it for like moral questions, but we can extend it to here. The principles are almost kind of pointless, and it is always much better to just tackle things on an individual case-by-case basis. And the, the sort of thing that started this all off was that the idea of lying is always bad. And like, you know, old philosophy, it's like, well, yes, lying, clearly bad. Don't lie. You should never lie. That's the principle. But then it's like, okay, well, what about where Catholics are being persecuted and like you will be murdered if you admit to being a Catholic. Is it okay to lie in order to not be murdered? And that pres- that at the time apparently presented a moral quandary for people. I think it's fine. I think that lie is fine, but I'm fallen. So for something like this where we have so little information, it's definitely, you know, my business is broken. There is a problem with my business. Principles don't help as much because all businesses are different and you need to tackle it on a case-by-case basis. So I hope I didn't just derail this entire question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is, I think this is a common problem in physical goods businesses where you're doing, especially where you're doing the manufacturing because you've got such a huge upfront cost. And then once you sell it, 
you're only keeping a percentage of that. So it's like, all right, let's say I made my my own shoe. Well, I spent ten grand in tooling. If I'm lucky, that's a low, low estimate. And now I got to pay to get them manufactured. And hopefully I don't get screwed on the first set. They come out great. They show up. I get my shoes and I've got all this money into it. Now I've got marketing costs on top of that and I got to sell it. So even though I manufactured it. You're already, what, 50 grand in the hole? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, maybe I've got my margins 50% on the shoe. That'd be awesome, right? would be great. But I'm selling the shoe for 50 bucks. So each purchase, I make 25, but I'm already in the whole 50, and I probably took a loan on that. I'm paying interest on it. So you get, and now I sell all those shoes out. Now I got to buy more again, and I still haven't paid off the original amount. So you can see where until, like, you need to be operating, like, you have to go through this cycle and just keep going, going, going through that and lose money for several iterations before you hit paid off and hit the scale where this thing operates really well and is making consistent income. That's where um, inventory forecasting becomes so important. Uh, but I think that that is the difficulty of a, like the core difficulty of a physical product goods business. It's that and the audience. Yeah. And I mean, the, the exact question here is I've got a cash eating monster business, even though costs are down to the bone. So he's already cut all the costs. Yeah. So, I mean, I, again, knowing nothing, and case by, you know, we would need to know more case by case, but just with that single sentence, it's raise your prices. Yes. You got to raise your prices. And then if the reply comes back, well, I can't raise the prices because X, Y, Z, I'd lose all my audience or I'd get eaten alive by my competitors or what cheaper competitors, or whatever. It's like, ah, then I don't know what to do. So I like, you know, number one, the answer is, can you raise the price? Can you sell for more? Well, can, can you, uh, and you know, raise the price, but also like justify the price range. Yes. If you could be like, yeah, I'm raising the price, but this is a premium product and here's why it's worth it and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you don't need a $1,000 Apple laptop, but Apple, it's very easy for Apple to convince me that I want a $1,000 Apple laptop. I mean, you only need one that's 500 bucks. It's like, yes. yeah, but I, I get a better experience out of the $1,000 one. Yes. So I think, uh, yeah, right at the top, increase your price is a good answer. Based on the phrase, I've got a cash-eating monster business, I think this applies. He is, and costs are down to the bone. I hear as, all right, I have, the business is scaled up. We're making consistent sales. This tells me he has an audience, and the audience has their walled out, and they're buying. This is the hardest thing to acquire in e-commerce. Also, to me, the phrase cash-eating monster implies that even though he's cut his cost down to the bone, his per-unit cost is still ridiculous. Like, he's selling a thing... He's selling it for his widget costs two fifty if you want to buy it, but it costs him a hundred bucks to make each one. So when he's doing another run of ten thousand, it now costs him whatever ten thousand times a hundred is. <laughs> I think that's five hundred bucks. All right, I am not a Jesuit. Uh, don't pay attention to that, Jesuits. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> well, so let's say for the sake, like, there's just no way to make what he's doing profitable. Let's look at what he does have. He's got an audience who is willing to buy. That's the hardest thing to acquire. So this is where I would start looking at, all right, what cross-sells, upsells, bundles can I do as value adds to this business to try and make that thing profitable? Yeah, maybe it's a high-margin product. Yeah, get positive cash flow in. Um, and I'm not thinking about or worrying about pivoting. Like, let's just make, take the smallest move to making more money. 
So if you're saying raise prices and do value adds, I would, that my I think the easiest jump there is bundles for cross sell. So add a high profit accessory item to this existing product to make it profitable. Yeah, or, or even if there was a way to just modify the product itself, like if he could modify the product in some way and turn it into like the deluxe version and the modification only costs him like an extra 20 bucks, but he can sell the deluxe version for a hundred bucks more. Uh, Something like that. Choice of yeses. Yeah. So we need three versions of the product. Right now he's selling, we'll say right now he's selling the uh, the value option yeah. and it's it's functionally a loss leader for him. Now he's, we need, he's barely breaking even on it. Yeah. So that's our that gets us people in the door. Now we need a post purchase or a better an upsell that goes along that replaces it. Okay, I like that. And you know, in some cases, it could be literally as simple as upsell them on the same item as a bundle of three. Like Vivian Liu sells insoles, KeySmart sells uh, key organizers. Both of them give you the option to, hey, you want to just buy three right now and save. And that, like, oh, what? If someone buys three, okay, you just tripled your average order value. Yeah. Hey. Now listen to how he treats the mail. That's her mail. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sir. Yeah. All right, so the mail just came, and it's from, it's this beautiful box, and there's a note in here. It says, hi, Julie. I have a Shopify store called Wicked Good. I make consciously crafted fragrances in small batches in Northfield, Illinois. And I'm an avid listener of your husband's podcast and heard about your new blog. Congrats. I thought you may enjoy some of my Disney-inspired scents. You can find the description of my website. Philip from Cast Conversations podcast just reach out to me. Sounds interesting. If you'd like to meet, I'd be happy to introduce you. Look at that. All right. Well, they did that for exposure, so there you go. we're giving them the exposure. You got the exposure. And you know what? It's, it's really nice packaging, and they put like a little glitter in there, which makes it look cool. What's the domain? Oh, I'll throw it out. It's... Uh, Orglamics, I believe. You know, actually, it does not have the .com. Oh, it there is. it is. Yeah, orglamics.com. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> All right, you got your backlink. Um, okay, I think we came up with some good options for Adam here. Yeah, increase average order value. Well, increase margins. Well, and there's, and a, there's a myriad of ways to increase margins. Yeah, and the other thing, he said, uh, costs are down to the bone. Well, the, acqui- the customer acquisition cost is really probably what's eating up his profit. So the solution there is, can we get them into repeat purchases? And that's where, like, Clavio uh, post-purchase sequence is going to help you out. But you could also, if the, the holy grail is the subscription box, because now it extends customer lifetime value and in this recurring predictable way. Like, if I'm lo- not, with post-purchase upsells, I'm lucky if I get a, per- a person to make three purchases total. With a re- the monthly recurring box, well, I could get 12 purchases out of someone. I could get 24 out of them, right? Um, but that not every business lends itself to that. But if it does, oh my gosh, like run and do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was the broadest question ever. <laughs> we it was fun up, though. We thought up a lot of good things. No, I like it. That's good. I wish I knew more. Yeah, well, you know, maybe I'm sure he'll listen to it. And Adam, uh, send us some more info. I would love to do a follow-up about this and see like... You know, tell us what's going on. Anything else? Any closing thoughts? It's July. Now is when the, the smart businesses start thinking a little bit about Black Friday. Yes. Start, by, by September, you should have your Black Friday plans done. You Yeah. Like in September, you need to have outlined 
bullet points of your sales and the schedule written out. Yeah. And then that way in October you can implement it and then November you coast. Well, and, in, in September you can implement it because we're usually filled up in October. Yeah, yeah, it's when and September is often crazy cuz it's back to school and that's when you should be doing this stuff. August like August September, get it done. By October everybody's going to be book solid. Yeah, October, think about Christmas. Setting the stuff up. Lastly, I have a favor to ask. If you have not left a five-star review for the show wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a review. It's very helpful. It will take you a few seconds. It really helps uh, other people get exposed to and find the podcast. And in exchange, we'd love to discuss your topic on the show. Comment, message me, send, uh, uh, email me, however you need to get in touch with me. Send me your, your question, topic request, and complaints go to paul.rita no. at... Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, the was the last thing. Oh, and it was. Fu- I've been doing more with Instagram stories, and that like is functionally Facebook stories, and it's for like it's just my personal stuff for my life, um, not the business. But I've noticed it gets really high engagement, and I get a lot of people like I haven't heard from in a while, and new people who will reply to the stories and start interesting conversations. Um, so I think. If you're not playing with Instagram stories for your business and you've got a following on Instagram, even if it's like a thousand people, give it a shot. It uh, it's pretty powerful stuff, and it's it's a fun medium. Kurt's really maxed out the amount of positive reinforcement he gets from this business, <laughs> and obviously his wife loves him. So now he's just making all his focus on Instagram stories. So he has a new place where people tell him about how great he is. I need the constant validation. Yes, or I'll jump out this window. Yes. <laughs> Um, but no, seriously, don't. It's not funny. That's funny. <laughs> you know, we were talking yesterday. I said, now, like, I've got a good thing going, got a great family life, a successful business, really, like, work, spent years working on myself. At this point, my primary goals are my primary objectives. Number one, don't get hassled. I don't want to be hassled. <laughs> and number two, and this is secondary to the first one, is have fun. Because you can't have fun if you're getting hassled. Yeah, I think you're, uh, you're very sensitive to being hassled now. Yeah, because you, like you've devolved yourself down to the to the barest, most first world problems. Yeah, where you're like someone leaves a unhelpful reply to a tweet you make, and you're like this fucking asshole. <laughs> and it's just like, damn, that guy hassled you in a tweet, and it's ruined your hour. <laughs> no, well, mostly it's it's muting stuff. Plus, <laughs> like going off about it is creates incredible entertainment for you. Yeah, that's true. I don't do. act like you don't love it. I do love like my it shtick. when you get really bad about a tweet. And I know it's ridiculous. I'm in the Twitter trenches, so I'm just like completely immune to that stuff by this point. I'm just like, yeah, it's a shit show. Welcome. Welcome <laughs> to the shit show, bud. Well, I still long for the days when Twitter wasn't a shit show, <laughs> but that's like, that's long gone. Now you're done. It was like post, by 2016 it was over. Oh, 2015. Yeah. But uh, there was a good two hours yesterday because they released that Cats trailer, and there was a good couple hours where, oh. where the where the internet was like, "What?" <laughs> oh, I watched it this morning. Yeah, Julie sent it to me and was like, "The internet's losing its mind over this." Well, it's like, why are they CGI? Why don't they just wear the outfits? Why does everything? Why is all movies now involve someone wearing a motion capture suit? Like, can there just be movies where oh, that whole thing is mocap? They're in CGI mocap cat outfits. Really? Yeah. I thought those were costumes. No. Why wouldn't those Look just at their be costumes? It looked weird. Yeah. It had that like uncanny valley thing going. I thought it was just the makeup. Just have them wear the makeup from the stage show. Because that's what I said. They CG'd the stage show. Yeah. 
Yeah, you gotta. All right, I'll put this trailer in the show notes. <laughs> you gotta watch this thing. It's not good. Someone made a good point. I am a lover of movie musicals, but musical theater makes me feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> like I am embarrassed for the performers. You find it cringy? I, no, I, that is the right word, but I obviously I can't use that word because I'm not 12. Someone made a tweet that was just like, yeah, everyone's reacting to this because this is how normal people view musical theater. And now the musical theater people are seeing seeing this. And it's like, this is what everyone's been saying, guys. And uh, I can't argue with it. Yeah, no, it, it's weird. And knowing that it's CG makes it even weirder. All right, I found the link. It is going in the show notes. <laughs> Cats trailer. All right, on that note, let's get out of here and get some tacos. No tacos. We're going to Nando's. Okay, let's get out of here We're and get some, some peri-peri chicken. Cheeky, some cheeky Nando's. A cheeky Nando's. One final note before we go. I wanted to remind you about the one Shopify theme my agency has used more than any other. It's called Turbo by Out of the Sandbox. And as its name implies, it's built for speed. But that's not why I love it. I love it because it's the most configurable, feature-packed theme for Shopify today. Features like predictive search, easy mega menus, infinite scrolling collections, and a ton of page templates. Calling it a theme doesn't do it justice. I think of it as a rapid prototyping tool for Shopify stores. And I've got a special offer for you. You can get it today at a 20% discount when you use the code PODCAST20. You can even try it for up to two weeks, and if you don't love it, Out of the Sandbox will give you a full refund. To check it out now, go to ethercycle.com turbo and use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's ethercycle.com turbo. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the unofficial ShopifyPodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including some details you might have missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. Please support our show by supporting them, and thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, and produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.